The Hoop Collective is brought to you by Goodyear. Celebrating March deal days with month-long service and savings, visit GoodyearAutoService.com for offers. The brackets are out, and who doesn't love taking on their family and friends in the ESPN Tournament Challenge and beating every single one of them? Sign up now for ESPN Tournament Challenge at ESPN.com slash bracket. And this year, you can boost your bracket with ESPN+. Plus. Use Bracket Predictor to analyze each matchup, get recommended picks one game at a time, and import your picks directly into ESPN's Tournament Challenge. Sign up now at ESPNplus.com. And if you want the best insight and analysis on the NCAA tournament, check out Courtside with former Division I head coaches Dan Dockich and Seth Greenberg. Listen to Courtside wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we are doing on Monday afternoon. Joining us from Los Angeles is Ramona Shelburne. What's up, Momo? What's going on? And I thought, uh, Momo, this is a big show because for the first time we have joining us from her home in Maryland, uh, ESPN analyst extraordinaire. She does college basketball. She's all over the NBA. She does ESPN radio. She does... Um, MSG stuff for the Knicks broadcast. Monica McNutt, am I forgetting something else that you'd also do? Oh my gosh, Brian, that was such a gracious intro. No, you know, <laughs> that's all the important stuff. I have a dog too. Former. <laughs> I have a dog too. <laughs> she, uh, she played, uh, she played, she played at Georgetown. So she's, she's hype about uh, the Hoyas making the uh, tournament. Yes, indeed. What a great weekend. I mean, honestly, guys, as basketball people in general, like how dope was the moment that Big Pat, as I call him, because I actually went to school with Little Pat, um, you know, wins a championship as a coach in the same place he won as a player and Big John passed last year. Like it was honestly poetic, even if you're not a Hoya. I just have not been able to follow college basketball this year. It's just been too crazy. Um, so I looked at the bracket. I have no idea what I'm looking at. But uh... <laughs> You have just as good a chance of picking winners, Brian, as anybody. <laughs> I know. I know enough to know that this uh, this year, I wish everybody good luck because I think it's going to be a complete mess. They used to have that thing. How much did uh, Warren Buffett and Dan Gilbert? Was it like five hundred million or something? If you picked mm-hmm. a perfect bracket, go ahead and make it six billion because no one's picking this bracket. No one. Uh, all right. So uh, we talk about the NBA here, but uh, Monica, good luck to your Hoyas uh, later on this week. Thank you. Um, so, uh, Momo, last night, uh, talking out in L.A. here, the game was in New Orleans. Uh, the Clippers got blasted. Um, you know, I I looked. They are actually, and I know that the All-Star break, it, it came at a different time than last year. And, you know, the seasons are a little bit different. But just comparison to comparison, the Clippers were two games worse at the All-Star break this year at, at, over, over the same number of games. Um, whatever it was, they were actually two games behind their pace from last year when they got off to a weak start without Paul George and so many injuries. Actually, they were actually behind last year's pace. They come out of the All Star break and get absolutely drubbed by the Pelicans. They give up sixty five percent shooting to the Pelicans. And after the game, Kawhi Leonard, who doesn't usually say much, as we know. Um, Really, he used the word. He said it's very concerning about where they are, um, and I talked about their consistency being off. Uh, look, I'm not going to sit here and freak out about a contender, you know, in March. 
but what's the level of concern on where the Clippers are in your mind? I mean, things are not not going as was as as to plan. Yeah, I think look, they've lost five out of seven now, so this isn't just a little swoon. This is. This is now continuing on for quite some time, even past the All-Star break. I mean, if you could say, if they went into the All-Star break, people understand, like, you lose momentum going into the break, and that happens. But I think, you know, some of this is, they, they have they lost one of their big energy guys, Montrez Harrell, in the offseason, right? He plays for the Lakers now. Patrick Beverly's been out. He's had a little knee thing going on. Um, he's the other energy guy. And Kawhi, what I thought Kawhi said that was that that caught my eye is like it can't just be one guy that gives us energy. It can't just be like you know Pat Bev goes does Pat Bev things and that's what makes everybody else light a fire. This was very reminiscent of another game they had had earlier this year where they just got waxed by Memphis and it's like it's it's a young team comes out early has a lot of energy just kind of gets ahead of them quick and instead of responding and. You know, stabilizing the, 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 the game, responding, coming back, they just kind of fold. And that is concerning, especially for a guy like Kawhi. And I keep thinking about him in the championship year he had in Toronto, where, you know, he did the load management thing there too. But the, I forget what the record was, Brian. Wasn't it like 17-4 and four when he was out that year in Toronto? When, yeah, when he I don't know what it was, but that's Something sounds along right. those lines. Um, and, it, it, you know, that was that was an indication to me that the rest of the team was ready to win. Like, the, like Kawhi was the guy that was going to put them over the top in the playoffs, but the rest of the team was mature, knew how to bring that kind of consistent energy every night. It's what, we, frankly, we saw from the Lakers last year when they went on to win. That was what, in a lot of ways, sold me on it. They didn't, they didn't lose you know, three games in a row um, most of the year. I think it was all year. Um, there might've been one stretch where they had it, but, but they were very consistent all year long and they brought that energy every night. And you, you know, there's, there's going to be games here or there, but you, five out of seven, like, you know, a couple of these games here already to, to young teams where you kind of question, um, the energy level, not good. Yeah. Um, and, the, and by the way, they, Monica, they play the Mavericks tonight and, you know, this podcast isn't being released till tomorrow. So mm-hmm. all, for all we know, they'll beat the Mavericks tonight, but it does not going to change the up and down nature of this team. That's got to, you know, this is built to win a championship. This is not a four year project. This is win now. I guess I'd have to defer to you guys before I dive in on this, because I just feel like this year is so odd in so many ways. And yes, on the calendar, we are past the all-star break, but, but I just, what have we played? How many games have we played to this point? I just wonder if in, under regular circumstances in a regular year, they're 25 and 15. Well, no, they've yeah, they've got a lot of games under their belt at this point. I just, mm-hmm. I'm waiting. I kind of am still giving teams a little bit of grace to kind of rev it up as we make this push. I just think on any level of basketball, and we're focused on NBA here, the oddities of this year um, can't mm-hmm. be taken for granted. And I think Kawhi saying something like that in the media is certainly signaling to the rest of his teammates. But I go back to those reports that we had in the offseason when it comes to this particular team that maybe the chemistry issues still aren't necessarily stalled. Um, You mentioned Trez leaving, Ramona. I think about a guy like Landry Shaman, who wasn't necessarily a a big-time scorer, but just younger, understood his role. Like, when you kind of comb through this roster, there's not a ton of youth. And I guess that could be a double-edged sword and you're supposed to have guys that understand the rigmarole but to your point about the young teams jumping up and get them there's a certain urgency that I feel like younger guys are playing with understanding that this is a team that's supposed to be a contender whether that's fair or not 
Well, you know, it's yes. interesting, Brian, last year, about this same, I think it was maybe late January, early February, they had a, they had a swoon like this too. And it was one of those moments that, you know, Om Young, Misuk, and I, who, uh, when we were talking at the end of the year, we wrote a, a sort of a TikTok on what went wrong with the Clippers last year, right? And he brought this, this point up. Um, there was a moment last year, a similar kind of dead period, as we're, you know, walking through the middle of the year, and they lost two games. And Kawhi started having these film sessions in his room. Uh, they were out on the road, and he he called Doc Rivers in, and he called Ty Lue in, and he called some of the team, you know, some of the not. I don't think it was the whole team, but it was it was a, a, a group of guys, and they would watch film. And he he called those meetings, and to me, it was it was. I don't think it was really reported at the time. We sort of found out about it later, but Kawhi doesn't get a lot of credit as a vocal leader and um, or even a leader in general, right? And sort of he leads by example on the court, et cetera. But I, I do think that when he says things like this, mm -hmm. um, and you've covered him for, for his whole career, I've covered him. Like when he says something like it's very concerning, those words are chosen carefully. Like he mm -hmm. did not just slip and say that. He didn't just say that because he was frustrated at the end of a game. This is on par to me with him calling film sessions in the middle of that road trip last year. Um, to say essentially like, hey, we got to fix some stuff. We got to do some things. And like for Kawhi to do that, one, shows a little bit of leadership that I don't think people talk about as much with him because he is so generally quiet and reserved. But also his level of his concern because he came to L.A. with the Clippers to win. And Brian, as you know, we've talked about this before. Like their window is not exactly all that wide open. So the thing uh, with them is this year, Kawhi hasn't load managed that much. He's played right. in back-to-backs. Paul George has made it a point. Paul and Kawhi have made it a point to really try to, um, uh, you know, get their chemistry going more to, to, to build good habits. Um, and here they are uh, having the same type of issues that they did a year ago with frankly less to blame it on uh, because they have been more healthy. Although with the guard position, They've been dinged up again. You know, Pat yeah. Beverly, they're on a road trip right now. Pat Beverly, who's been dealing with knee issues for several years, is dealing with knee issues. And, you know, one thing I was talking to um, an executive uh, who's been around a long time, and um, he was saying that, you know, Kawhi, the, the teams that Kawhi was on that won championships in San Antonio and in Toronto, mm -hmm. you know, they had a really strong lead guard. Yeah. And, and that they he played off of that. And, you know, that's something that the Clippers just don't have. I know that Lou Williams at times uh, functions in that role, but they don't, you know, and I, and I mean, look, Tony Parker is a Hall of Famer. Uh, Kyle Lowry might be a Hall of Famer. I mean, I'd argue for him to be a Hall of Famer, mm -hmm. uh, around, you know, borderline in that case, but certainly a, a very strong lead guard. And they don't have it. And I'm not saying that having a lead, I mean, last night for the second time in I think three weeks, they gave up over 70 points in the paint. Um uh, which a lead guard is not necessarily going to help you with that. I mean, that's the overall team issue. But, um, you know, not them not having a lead guard is continuing to be a problem. And, guys, because uh, I look at the trade market, yeah. it's going to be hard for them. You know, they actually have a um, uh, almost a $4 million trade exception um, that they can use by Monday. And I was thinking, well, wonder who they could get for that. And then I realized they're, they're like 500 some odd thousand underneath the hard cap. They, they triggered the hard, they triggered the hard salary cap because they used their full mid-level. They didn't use the taxpayer mid-level. They used the full mid-level on Serge Ibaka in the off season, which was an important signing for them. Um, but once you do that, you can only spend to a certain amount. And they're like 
only within 500,000 of it or 600,000 of it. And so not only would they have to make a trade without having any first round picks, or as Monica mentioned, they don't even really have that many young players uh, that they can use, um, uh, you know, in a trade because they don't even have them on their roster. Uh, one of their, there's probably their best young player uh, is Luke Kennard, who has recently signed a huge contract and that makes them hard to, to trade. Um, but they don't have the draft picks. They don't have the young players and they can't really do a trade where they take back too much more money. And so all of a sudden the funnel of players that you could get, cause I really do think they need to figure out how to get a lead guard. And I know they've, they've kicked around trying to figure out how to get Kyle Lowry, but that's just not going to happen guys. They don't have the assets to trade for him and he makes $30 million. You can't, you know, maybe you could assemble $24 million in pieces and try to send it, but then you're over the hard cap. You can't do it. So the only player that I can really see, unless there's a buyout that happens uh, where there's all of a sudden a, a player that's free that, you know, could help them. But I don't see that right now. The only player that I could really see that they could maybe acquire is George Hill. Yeah. Uh, mm. uh, but to do the Go ahead. They've been, linked, they've been linked to him for a while now, but it's going to, I think you're right, Brian. I think it's going to be, you know, the buyout market is as, as we approach this trade deadline, I think that's going to be the most competitive market. And, and last year they got Reggie Jackson on that buyout market. Okay. So they, they can find guys. They got to get a player. I mean, they got to get a player better than Reggie Jackson. Reggie Jackson's not getting it done. <laughs> yeah. And like, I don't want to, no, I don't want to throw shade at Reggie Jackson. Okay. He's a good guy, but like, that's what you get on the buyout market. Okay. Like you get somebody who got bought out. Sometimes it works out well, but when you're talking about lead guard in the same breath as you, as Tony Parker, Kyle Lowry, like these yeah. are big names. And, you know, Reggie Jackson can do a nice job as a, as a backup. He started sometimes, but they, you're right. They don't really have a lot of flexibility there. What they could do, and this would be a pretty radical, radical thing to do. They could do something with Lou Williams. I think he has some value, uh, but, but then there's a sort of domino effect of that. If you trade Lou, who do you replace him with? That's going to be better. And you lose all that scoring. You lose all, I mean, he's kind of like your cheat code, right? When you well, need well, a basket, that's, put that's who they I think that's who they'd have to trade for George Hill. And actually that wouldn't even get it done. They'd have to trade um, Lou Williams and one of their minimum guys uh, or one of their, one of their low level guys, maybe uh Kambale, who's a guy they drafted to do that. And then you probably would have to add a second round pick in there. But I'm as with, well. I mean, I'm with Ramona. I feel like that begins to create more problems than it solves at that point. That's the point, Monica. I don't see, like, a year ago, I was so on this team. I so felt like they were the team to do it. And, like, boy, was I just wrong. And now I look at their roster and I just see this hole. And, I, you know, not only do I see their focus and intensity issues, I see this hole at guard. And I don't know how they fix it. Because, as well, you mentioned, that would hurt them to have to trade Lou. So here's here's the big thing that I see from 10,000 feet. There were two teams that came into the 20. 2019-2020 season in Los Angeles, picked as championship contenders. Each of them had pretty gaping hole at point guard. One of those teams decided to make LeBron James a point guard. Right? Mm-hmm. And in some ways, that's kind of what the Clippers have tried to do with Kawhi. It's not really his thing, but he has taken on more of a playmaking role. He's It's not really his instinct or, or natural. Yeah, I mean, Monica, you'd probably be the best to analyze this in terms of the way he plays, but it, you know, he can do it, but it's not as natural to Kawhi to 
play in that sort of lead guard playmaking mm-hmm. role as it is for LeBron. A hundred percent. But but there's so many things that LeBron can do. I just, but I'm with you though, because now the question becomes, well, how do we solve this internally, right? And Paul, not Paul, who am I? Uh, what's my Pat? Pat Beverly obviously is the is the guard, kind of the energy guy, all that stuff. But I would even be hesitant to compare his skill set to the guys that we listed in Lowry and Parker, right? So then, to me, it, it becomes a thing by committee. And I'm not sure what exactly Tyron Lue has, you know, cooked up for them um, big picture offensively. But I think back to that game versus the Jazz. And I know they split that season in the that series in the regular season. Um, but again, Beverly played in that game. I thought they had tremendous defensive energy in that game. And so I just wonder if there's a scenario in which this team puts a little bit more energy into the defensive end and sees what can happen naturally on the other side. Um, Because if you run that point guard spot sort of by committee, Kawhi does a little bit, PG does a little bit, and then make sure that your offense is moving, because those guys garner so much attention, you can get something out of that. I don't know that that's going to get you through the playoffs, but you can find a little bit more consistency than we've seen as of late. I just don't know if that committee approach has worked for them because they've been very poor in the clutch. Yeah. And um, I don't, I like, I'm just saying, like, I'm looking at this team a year and a half into this, this move here. And um, I'm concerned. I'm concerned about it. And look, when they play their best, it doesn't matter. Of course, when, when Kawhi and Paul George are playing their best and, and, and when, you know, Serge is defending the rim and, and, you know, they're, their uh, ancillary players are hitting their outside shots. I mean, Marcus Morris, he started out the year injured. He's been up and down. He was a complete zero in uh, in last night's game <laughs> against New Orleans. Of course, me saying that, tonight he might have 25 and 12. But, um, you know, like when their guys all play well, like this is obviously a terrific team. But I've seen them when they don't deliver. And I've, I've watched them in these close games. And we know – that when they get in the playoffs, there's going to be a bunch of close games that there's going to be defined by it. And I, I would just be, I would be worried if I, and I, I got to believe that um, when Kawhi says it's very concerning, I got to believe that Ty Lue feels that way. I got to believe their front office feels that way. I got to believe they're looking at this and they got to be on the same page with that. What they can do about it, uh, they may not have any other choice than to do it from within. And that's it. But I mean, but see, as much as we could talk, trade this, trade that to me, there's just a level of consistency on the energy level. Right. Like, I don't know if like you just said, Brian, like they have when they're clicking, they're clicking. And I know that everybody doesn't click every single night, but I kind of interpret the commentary from Kawhi is a little bit more about consistent levels of energy. You know what I mean? And like that is not necessarily an X and O thing. Now, sustainability is a whole nother issue. But just showing up every night, like putting your best foot forward. So here's yeah. the big question: They, the Clippers, had a couple of choices to make this offseason. The first of which, they started a domino effect for both them and the Lakers because they didn't really make any effort to resign Trez, right, Montrez Harrell. Um, and some of that is the, when we talk about the chemistry issues, et cetera. Obviously, that's been pretty well documented um, that he, he and Paul George didn't necessarily mesh, and, and he was one of the old guard that didn't necessarily mesh with the new guard. Um, and I, I think they also felt like Trez sort of blocked Marcus Morris. And, and it was hard for them to define a role for Marcus with Trez in that spot. And so they prioritized Marcus Morris. Okay, So if you, if you get paid, what was it, four years, 64? I mean, if you get that money and they pick you over Trez, that's got to – Marcus Morris, is, it was 
thought of as a leader on this team. They also decided to use the full mid-level on Serge Ibaka, who has been inconsistent, I think is a, a nice way to put it. Um, I don't physically, he left the game the other night with some lower back tightness. He's out for uh, Monday night's game with that lower back tightness. If you look at his scoring averages and minutes, he's, he's averaging about like 23 minutes a game. Last year in Toronto, he was about 27, 28. So he's down, he's down some minutes a game. That doesn't necessarily mean anything all that significant. Maybe the Clippers just decided he should be a 23-minute-a-game guy. Um, but it also hints at some durability issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's, he's getting up there, and they, and they, they gave him a lot of money. Uh, they've, they've got a nice – I think Nick Batum has been pretty good for them. Um, they, you know, literally that was a nice surprise that I don't think everybody saw coming, but he's been a nice, a nice addition. Uh, but they don't like they didn't prioritize that lead guard spot. I, I mean, Brian, how many times are you and I either on this podcast or on the jump or on Sports Center? How many times did we say, "Boy, the Clippers really need a lead guard"? I mean, it was just a big glaring hole heading into the offseason that they did not really address. And I think it's a they made a choice to go elsewhere with their priorities. Yeah, it is surprising that they've let it go this long, and it's it's gone so long that I I don't know if it can be addressed. Um, but I'll tell you one thing. Um, I don't think I don't think Kawhi is going anywhere. I think he's got his championships. Yeah. I think he's got his championships. I think he worked for a long time to get this set up in L.A. Um, but he did only sign a two-year contract. I'm you glad know. you guys said it because I was just about to ask that. Like this, if it doesn't work, I mean, to me, Kawhi is like the best hired mercenary in the game. <laughs> I mean, I, I just I can't see him walking on this situation. Uh, I, here's here's my thing though, uh, B Dub, and you know, I mean, both of you guys have been far closer to him than I have. But if if it's a chemistry thing, like, or if it's a effort thing, Kawhi doesn't strike me as the kind of guy to tolerate that. Like, no, I just don't see it. Yeah. Well, well let's look at the let's look at the other teams that were in on the recruiting for Kawhi. Okay. Uh, Toronto, obviously, he has a soft, you know, he, he won a championship there. I think he, you know, going into that situation, I don't think he was really thinking of staying, and I think they made it real hard on him. I mean, he, he really, he really, it was, he was torn because he had such a good experience up in Toronto. They're about to start on a, I don't know, would you call it a rebuild? I don't know if I would go that far to say a rebuild. Well, he's not going back there. Not going back there. Okay. Um, the Knicks were in on that, and they are looking quite interesting these days. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the Lakers were down to the wire, and I, you know, Brian, help me out here. But I, how do, how should we? Do you ever believe that he was going to the Lakers? I, I never believed it. Well, even though I've heard all the, oh, he was just a, you know, it was a minutes away. A, yeah. It was a hell of a game of chicken. It I'll was a hell of a bluff, man. That yeah. you know, whoever was bluff, whoever played those cards, but you know be what? A like, I, I, player, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but the yeah. Lakers. He's so damn good that the Lakers had to play the game. They, they owed it to themselves to play the game. Yeah. Even if even if they knew when they were playing the game, he's like, you know, this guy's not coming here. They had to do it. Yeah. So I don't blame yeah, him. Yeah, they had to do it. But 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 look, if you look at options for Kawhi, who did he think about the last time? I, the Knicks didn't get a meeting, but they were offered one. Like they didn't take the meeting because I think they knew they weren't going to get. Um, they you know they but they they were offered a meeting. Um. So I don't know, just, just file that one away. Well, just, look, you know, uh, I don't think he's going anywhere. Uh, if he does take meetings this off season, um, I think Miami and New York would yeah. be would be there. But I think it's premature to say that. Um, 
But uh, I would just say that um, the Clippers are not where they need to be. Agreed. <laughs> and that's and that's getting more concerning by the week. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyeho Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. The NFL schedule drops this week, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code HOOP. That's code HOOP. Download the app or visit vividseats.com today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. All right, well, tonight, big one of the big games in the league tonight, and we, again, we won't know the outcome, is uh, Lakers-Warriors. Um, both teams have been scuffling a little bit. Both teams just got good wins. Uh, the Warriors uh, beat the Jazz on Sunday. Um, Steph's 33rd birthday. Did you see they made him a... The, uh, the the people at Chase Center made him a cake that looked like a <laughs> a bucket of popcorn. No, that's perfect. Because I don't know. I, I yeah, Stephanie's popcorn is is one of the fun stories in the NBA. They they actually they the the Warriors put out a video where they showed how they made yeah. it, and they actually took real popcorn and like put it in the cake and on top of the cake. And I know that these cakes that are like, you're not actually supposed to eat them. You're just supposed to look at them, but who wants to eat popcorn on a cake? But yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway. He really likes popcorn. There. He's, he's, he does. Awesome. He does. It's like sitting uh, in his locker post game. I know. Doesn't he, Momo, doesn't he, I mean, this was back at the, at the old place where we actually could go yeah. in and see. Didn't, didn't they actually like give him like the giant movie theater bags that are like two feet, yeah. three feet high? Yeah. And he's always just... walking out with it too. Like he, they have it ready for him but on the road. That's like somebody's job. Make sure Steph has his popcorn. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> um, anyway, something interesting happened with the Warriors this week with James yeah. Wiseman. Um, he missed a couple of COVID tests during the, uh, during the break and as a um, as a sort of disciplinary measure, not sort of, it was a disciplinary measure. Steve Kerr sat him for the first three quarters of their first game back, and it was an interesting little uh, pinch point. Oops, that's okay. It was an interesting little pinch point because you know Lamelo is doing so great. We talked about Lamelo on our last podcast here, um, and uh, Anthony Edwards has been doing really well. Um, and you know, Wiseman was hurt earlier this year. I'm a big believer, Monica, in Wiseman. Um, I love his, I think he's got tremendous footwork and athleticism for a guy that size. I really believe in his future. The Warriors really, really wanted this guy locked in on him. Um, were really focused on getting their hands on him in the draft, I know that he tried to be politically correct with Minnesota, but he did not want to go there. He wanted to be a warrior. Uh, the Warriors said no thank you to LaMelo, who I think would can – you, can you think about LaMelo playing with Steph Curry right now? I mean, the way LaMelo delivers passes. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so look, his career will be defined in the future. It's not going to be defined right now. But when you and he had 16 points last night, had a really good game. I am a big believer in James Wiseman. Um, Monica, what do you think about the way that the the Warriors have handled him uh, this year and and tried to bring him along? As he's a really important piece for them. You know, I didn't love the three quarters sit down thing, but in general, I feel like he's been baptized by fire, but he has, I mean, say what you want about Draymond, but I see him as a really great teammate teammate and sort of teacher. Um, So I have not had a problem with how they've used him so far this year. I think that he's learning on the fly and sometimes that's okay. I think we would all agree that this team has probably been better that, well, at least for me, I don't know about you guys. It's been better than I had initially anticipated, especially. Oh, yeah. I thought they were no way a playoff. Team. Yeah. Like, what? what's happening? And Steph is definitely back in that MVP conversation for sure. But, you know, I'm glad you said it, though, Brian, because the idea of comparing him to those other two when he's going to actually have a shot, you know, to be in the playoffs. I mean, depending on what happens in the East, there's a world in which Charlotte does as well, especially with the new format. Um, but the op- – I think I can't remember who said it, but one of our our analysts, our former pro guys, I don't know, um, I can't remember who said it, but they talked about the value of where guys spend their first few years in the league in terms of learning, right? And so above all, the Warriors organization is respected. Steve Kerr is respected. You're running alongside a two-time MVP, Draymond, who's going to be a guy who potentially could like finish with higher rebounds and assist numbers than he did points, which would be kind of crazy, but could happen. But you're in a system in which you're being taught how to play the game correctly. And these formative years to me are so huge. Like, I have no gripe with the way that the Warriors have been able to handle him. And I think that he's done a good job of navigating the curve. Like, I don't care how talented a rookie is outside of maybe LeBron, like, and maybe Zion, but even Zion, too. Like, there's going to be a curve. And I think he's done a a yeoman's job with it. Brian, you know, the... uh there's been a lot of debate up in the Bay Area, you know, sports talk radio, et cetera, and even internally with the Warriors about how much they should prioritize the youth movement. That's that's James Wiseman, that's Jordan Poole, and Nico Mannion, who's the, the nice the guard out of Arizona. That they, they played all three of those guys together in their win over the Jazz on Sunday, and they and they put them out there the, kind of the same way the Jazz play their, their bench unit, the start of the second quarter, start of the fourth quarter. And these are just – I mean, these are young kids. They're like, you know, 19, 20, 21. And it's, it's this strange year where, on the one hand, they're trying to make the playoffs because the Warriors always want to make the playoffs. They don't really want to tank. Um, that's a source of pride for them. But they also recognize how, – you know, how old did you say Steph is? 33. Right? Okay. Draymond? About, what is he, 30, 31, something like that? Um, and they recognize that – that group, like you have to sort of bring along the next generation of, of fran- the pillars of your franchise. At the same time, you're you're trying to catch the last wave of the Steph Curry prime, right? Now, I, I personally think Steph Curry's prime is going to last a little bit longer just because, you know, he, he's not dependent on the athleticism in the way some other players are, right? He, as long as he can shoot, I think he'll be making those when he's 50, okay? Um, <laughs> but, but as long as he can shoot, he's still going to be an effective player. Uh, so I, I think it's a there is a source of I would de- I would definitely say organizational tension on the way that they've used Wiseman this year because I think there are some people in the organization that really want them to put James Wiseman out there more like not necessarily with the benching and all that that that's 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 a, a separate matter but just putting him out there more letting him play through mistakes letting him play 
more minutes, uh, heavier minutes, in the same way that those, you know, the other two rookies are playing, even though they, the Warriors are trying to contend for champion, or not for a championship, but contend for the playoffs. But there is this sense of the, the faster you can get James Weissman up to speed, the faster he can learn and grow from his mistakes within the system, with Draymond as his, you know, big brother kind of out there mentoring him on the court, off the court, everything, um, the, the better the franchise is going to transition. And over the years, we've talked about the Warriors as sort of aspiring to be the Spurs. There was a lot of Spursian qualities to the, the, the Warriors dynasty with Steph Curry playing the role of Tim Duncan, franchise cornerstone, everything flows from there. You can just kind of add great pieces around him and everything seems to work because Steph makes things work. Um, but the other hallmark of the Spurs culture and dynasty of making the playoffs 21 years in a row is, is just that they always reinvented themselves. They always brought up new young players and, and, it went from David Robinson to Tim Duncan to Tony Parker to Kawhi Leonard. I mean, they, they always had the succession plan, and they were very good at executing it. And I think that's what the Warriors are trying to do now. They really believe in James Wiseman. They really do. They think he is going to be a future all-star. They think he is going to be a future pillar of the franchise. I, I checked. There was a couple of story. There was a storyline out there that, you know, LaMelo Ball thought they were going to pick him at two. Everything I have been told is that that's a miscommunication or something was wrong there because they, they were, were so hot. As James far Weissman. as I know, they yeah. were laser focused. They would have taken yeah. somebody, a very good source told me they would have taken James Weissman number one if they had the number one pick. They, wow. He was highest on their board. He, they, they never wavered in that. If And if, if Minnesota would have taken Weissman one, the Warriors would have taken Anthony Edwards two. And I think some of the issue with Mello is like, they really liked Mello. They were really high on him. I don't know if they were as uh, bullish on the fit with Steph Curry. And at the time, you remember most of when they were seeing him, Clay Thompson was still okay. Clay got hurt a couple days before the draft, but they didn't even really get to see Mello in person alone. They, I think they had trouble arranging a private workout. And then when they did see him, the Hornets were actually there too. Uh, Mitch Kupchak was there. Uh, it was, it was, um, it, I, I don't, I don't know where that miscommunication came from that Lamelo thought he was going to, because they were always focused on Wiseman. Well, the the drama there was Minnesota was trying to trade back right. out of one into. They wanted to flop spots with the Warriors mm-hmm. because they wanted their pick back <laughs> that yeah. they that they had out. And oh, um, let's talk about that pick, right? <laughs> they, they were. Um, you know, say you know the story goes they were saber rattling that they were going to mm-hmm. take Wiseman because everybody knew the Warriors wanted Wiseman so bad, and they were sort of like posturing that like, okay, Golden State, yeah. if you don't do a deal with us, we're taking Wiseman, yeah, and you're going to have to do a deal to get him, and then then our price is going to change. And there was you know a game of chicken there too, and the Warriors just were like, look, we'll we'll make your pick and we'll react, and obviously a deal didn't get done. Um, but, uh, you know, the way this is playing out, and we're going to talk about Anthony Edwards in, in a minute here, but um, the top three guys in this draft all have a lot of talent. All are, in one way or another, uh, getting a lot of attention this year. And for a draft that was allegedly not that good, <laughs> there's, been a lot of in- there's been a lot of intrigue coming out of these, out of these guys. And, um, you know, there's going to be... You know, th- by getting Lamelo Ball, the Hornets uh, on this last on the last podcast, we, we, guys, we talked about it. It was the f- the Hornets have made thirteen consecutive lottery picks without getting a first team all in the all in all rookie player. Ooh. 
And this is a transformational pick for the Hornets. They haven't made them to make a pick like this in forever. Um, for the Warriors, it was a vital pick as they pivot. And then if you look at the, the Wolves, the Wolves are arguably the worst team in the league. Uh, they've been impacted by injury and now suspension, but they're, they are not in a good place. And, and not taking Lamelo, they ended up having to trade for Ricky Rubio. Anyway, uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, this is the way this all worked out was amazing, and the decisions that get made on draft night are incredible. <laughs> the decision, for example, in the moment, uh, you know, the idea that uh, you know, think about how things are different just from the the trade, the Luca trade, the Luca Trey Young trade, how vital that was a couple of years ago. Then, you know, the, the the Warriors and and the Wolves didn't do business on on this thing. Uh, or that the or that somebody else didn't trade up to number one to get Lamelo because uh, right. it was widely available to the Wolves from the Wolves. Yeah, well, look, let's let's. I mean, there's the one team right now that I I keep coming back to of man, some this team should have pulled the trigger on this. Okay, the Boston Celtics absolutely should have found a way to go and get Lamelo Ball. I mean, he, how how different would that team look right now if they had Lamelo? Well, it would have probably cost them wow. Jalen Jalen Brown or, or Jason Tatum. So Is it that much? I mean, I wouldn't have traded the number three pick without getting one of those guys. Wow. So that is a lot. Well, we say that now. At the time there were a lot of questions about Lamella. Uh, yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned that too, Ramona, because like we can't do it's not revisionist history. Yeah. So having a great year. Um, but there, I, I remember some character stuff floating around. Now, whether you subscribe to that or not, like, and we still hadn't necessarily seen how his game was going to translate. I, for me, he's exceeded expectations. Um, but I, just really quickly, back on the whole Warriors thing, the organizational tension. I love that phrase that you coined. I just feel like this is becoming now for that organization and those fans almost an embarrassment of riches. Like they are fine, and like James Wiseman is coming along just fine. I literally was having a conversation about RJ Barrett um, earlier today for some MSG stuff. Mm -hmm. And the jump from year one to year two, like if that's where he makes his significant jump, then that's okay too. Like he's going to be in position to help move the organization along. They need to take a deep breath. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting how they bring Wiseman along because this is, um, you know, they, they grew Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green. They found those guys in the draft and they grew and developed them. Um, and they have shown that they can do that, but it was a different coaching staff that did the first years of Steph, Clay, and Draymond. This is now Steve Kerr and his coaching staff's ability to develop them, but it's a different, it's a different d- developmental situation. Back when Mark Jackson was in charge and running the franchise, they didn't have the championship pedigree surrounding those guys. Mm-hmm. They had to sort of build that from within, and then Steve Kerr took them all the rest of the way. Right? He took them, you know, the, from from good young players who needed to get over the hump to champions. And so it's, it's interesting to grow champion players, young players within a championship culture within, you know, around guys like Draymond and staff. And it's, and, and, and when I say organizational times, this is not to suggest that, you know, Steve Kerr is in any kind of trouble or Bummer. No, oh, yeah, it, no, no, this is just, this is literally just a, a really talented young player that they are going to be very patient with, but they got to grow them the right way. And it's it's going to be fun to watch unfold. I mean, I you know the the, the Steph Curry yelling at people on the bench and Brian. When's the last time you saw Steph Curry yell like that? I mean, I'm sure it's happened, Woo. but I don't remember it. 
Yeah, I mean, that was that was something. I mean, I've seen Draymond yell. I've seen Steve Kerr break the clipboard, okay? But I've, never seen, <laughs> yeah. I've never seen Steph do that. I mean, I, you know, maybe they didn't have his popcorn that night, you know? But yes. was, that was intense. And I think what's fun for the Warriors, and it's fun for us who covered the, the dynasty years, um, is to see a dynasty reinvent itself and, and, and see if they can sustain the way the Spurs have or the, the, the way they reconfigure. Because that Minnesota pick, Ryan, it is – I would say, would you? I would say that's the most valuable asset in the league. You just when you talk about, you know, a, a team that owns another team's pick. This year, it's top three protected, but after this, which by the way, very well could fall in the top three, like Minnesota could keep its pick. Um, but if it goes to four or five, the Warriors keep get that pick this year, and this is a really good draft. The top five players in this draft are really good. Um, if they don't get it this year, the following year it is completely unprotected. Wow. So um, there's been some rumblings about, you know, and some people that I've talked to about the Warriors being active on the trade market. Mm-hmm. Uh, Momo, do you, do you, um, have you heard anything about that? Yeah. Well, I think the, the biggest thing they have to decide is whether or not they're going to keep Kelly Oubre. Um, he's, he started off the year slow. He has had a really nice resurgence. He's, you know, I, I forget his stats off the top of my head, but he was he had a really, he really got his shooting stroke together. He's been a nice player for them the last couple of months. Um, but he's a free agent and he's probably going to get offers. And so the question for the Warriors is, do you want to pay the gigantic luxury tax bill to keep Kelly Oubre on your roster the rest of this year? Or do you want to get what you get for him now? Because no, the Warriors would have an opportunity to assign and trade with him so that, they, you know, they don't – Warriors, their philosophy in doing deals is we do not lose players for nothing. And sometimes that has helped them. Um, I would say the Kevin Durant, you know, you were going to lose him for nothing. They end up parlaying that into D'Angelo Russell, who then becomes Andrew Wiggins plus the Minnesota pick. Okay? So I would say that's a pretty good haul for instead of losing Kevin Durant for nothing. Um, the Andre Iguodala trade – not as much hasn't worked out as well. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I think their, their general op- way of operating in, in Golden State has been, we do not lose assets for nothing. We do not lose players for nothing. And that is the question. The only question is when, if they, you know, I think they could keep Oubre, but I, I feel like they would, he would get more offers elsewhere and they probably don't want to pay that much for him going forward. So do you trade him now or do you trade him in the offseason or do a sign and trade? Well, Steph didn't look like a guy who wanted to go quietly into the no. lottery night. Uh, <laughs> he looked like he wants to play. All right, Dylan Thomas. All right. Okay. Um, <laughs> for the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call or click ranger.com or just stop by. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hitch, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's ever up there, whether it's the roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit DirecTV.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. 
Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. We talked a little bit ago about uh, Anthony Edwards, who had the best game of his rookie season on Sunday, mm-hmm. um, scored 34 points. By the way, after starting 0-5 or 0-6, uh, Chris Finch has got the uh, Wolves a couple of wins in the last three games. Um, Edwards uh, took a took a, a blow in that game from Ennis Cantor then um, was able to come back and, and lead them. I think he scored like 12 or 14 points in the last seven minutes. Um, he's, he's had a couple of incredible moments. Uh, his athleticism is off the charts. He's had a couple of crazy dunks. He had another one last night going oh right gosh. down the lane. Um, his, he's uh, a, sort of a, a typical rookie in that his efficiency has been not great. You know, he's shot under 40% from the field, under 30% from three. He's had some nights where he's just had really bad shooting numbers. Right now, where um, D'Angelo Russell is out after, uh, I think he's got a knee injury. I think he had a surgery, but maybe it was a procedure. Uh, and Malik Beasley is is serving a long suspension. Um, they don't have, like, he, they need him to score. Um, you know, they're not a very good team. They're like eight and 30 or something. So he's... So he might be he may be taking on a more of a volume scoring than he should, um, but so last night something interesting happened in this game. Um, so he's great. He says thirty four points. They win. Come back. Uh, Dame had a, had a great game. But, you know the, the the Blazers are shorthanded right now too, um, but uh, they come back and make a make a real nice win. Any win for the for the Wolves is very nice. Um, and then after the game, Carl Towns and I think this is important. Um, mm-hmm. He brings this up unprompted. It wasn't like somebody asked him about this. Carl, and I'll say this about Carl, he's very media savvy. Okay, mm-hmm. he, he knows what's going on out there. Um, uh, he said, everyone's trying to find a way to show they're better than Anthony Edwards because he's uh, he was taken number one. And let and this is, I can't tell you how loaded of a statement yeah. what I'm about to read from Carl Towns was. Let me say that it was also the right decision for us in this organization. I want to make that very clear. And I think what Carl is saying here, I think he's reacting to the fact that LaMelo is getting a lot of love right now. Um, And people are like, why the hell didn't you take LaMelo? Um, Number one, he's, he's petting his rookie, his, you know, his guy, he's giving him a pat on the back saying, you're, you're doing great kid. It was important. It was the right decision for us in this organization. It was the right decision because taking Wiseman would have been his position and would have forced him probably out of position in one way or another. And his close friend, D'Angelo Russell, or at least his friend, I don't know how close they are, but you know, they're friends. It's clear. Mm-hmm. Um, D'Angelo Russell was brought in. They made the huge trade for him. He was their point guard. He didn't want any confusion there. So they took the other wing. They took the wing. Um, not the point guard and not the big man. And look, uh, you could argue that in the modern NBA, having wings is the hardest thing to get. You get a super athletic wing like that, and, you, and you're looking to break the tie, that's it's fine. But Carl Towns is saying that, and he's trying to be savvy. And basically he's saying, look, the, the, we had me and uh, – I." this is my interpretation. He's saying we had me and, and D'Angelo. We needed a wing. We didn't need someone to play our position. And Monica, I wonder, you know, I think Carl's reacting a little bit to what's going on out there. And I wonder if he's ultimately going to be right because Edwards is an exciting player, but he hasn't been LaMelo. 
ultimately he's right right now beat up like well i don't understand yeah. what we're doing uh, like and i remember all the draft lead up shows and whatever and obviously i don't have the intel that you guys have but literally roster by roster edwards was the right decision for the minnesota timberwolves bar none right like and especially as you guys just so eloquently pointed out how high the warriors were on wiseman like I get it. LaMelo Ball is surprising right now. We now see a very bright future for him. It's great. But in terms of what each team needs, like, it's irrelevant if LaMelo Ball went to Minnesota and had to sit behind Russell, like, knock on wood that maybe he did or didn't get hurt. But, like, what? I don't know what we're doing. If anything, I applaud Cat for this in terms of patting his guy on his back. But to me, if you pay attention to rosters and just what teams need, like, this is not even a conversation. I mean, if, if we're going to go, oh, so-and-so turned out to be great, like, you can apply that to any draft ever. Like this, that's a waste of breath for me. The question is: Are you is are Carl Towns and D'Angelo Russell good enough that you're accommodating them in this way? Now, look at the at the outset of it. Maybe they just evaluated Edwards as a better player because two teams passed on Lamelo. Just point, you know. Well, and the thing is, like we're going to be debating this Lamelo pick for a long time. And as Monica points out, let's 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 have the conversation again in one year, in two years, in three years because things look different in a, in a few years once. Especially with big guys in the NBA, it takes a little while sometimes for them to find their footing. Um, so I, I think you should give James, James James Wiseman a little bit longer run here before we start making big pronouncements. And, sure. and as, as good as Lamelo is, like I don't know, is this as good as he's going to be? Like, is he going to keep growing? Is he going to keep mm-hmm. developing? I mean, look, you know, I, what was the stat Ohm posted on uh, the other day from about Lonzo Ball? Like, we looked at Lonzo after a couple of seasons, and said, eh, can't shoot, he just can't make threes, can't shoot. Guys having a great year shooting. Like he's all everything you want to say about Lonzo, his older brother, and all the weaknesses in his game. The first couple of years in, in in the league, uh, he's done a pretty good job of addressing that. I mean, he's he's making threes this year at a at a clip where you know you could cynically look at that and say that's that's what happens when you're about to go into a contract year. Um, <laughs> sure, but he he was also played one year of college. And he had a funky shot. And so sometimes it takes time to adjust to the NBA and get confident in, in, in making that shot. And he had all the the very strange transition year, right? There was the one year where he was like, it was Lonzo and Kuzma and the, they were running the Lakers. And the next year LeBron got there and that was a little bit of an adjustment. And then he gets traded. I mean, there was, you know, this was, this was a strange first couple of years in the league. So let's, let's, let's give that time before we say which, who the best player of those three were. Um, but Brian, you're right. Like this, we, we didn't think this was that good of a draft, but I, I think there's several rookies this year that have come out and been very impressive. And that's even more impressive considering how little scouting teams were able to do and how little the, I mean, the NCAA tournament wasn't played last year. So we didn't really get to see players under pressure. So I think, you know, it's been a relatively good draft considering how bad we thought it was last year. I, I yeah. add to that though, real quick, Momo, like we, I don't, Oh, Anthony Edwards. I don't know. Did Georgia make? Would Georgia have made the field last year anyway? Wiseman was out. We wouldn't have seen Ball anyway. But the other point in terms of positions, which I think is really savvy that you just made, mm-hmm. as these guys progress, like Ball is at the position to me that is going to see more defensive heat and like scouting and mm-hmm. a little bit. So like, I'm, I'm not going to call this lightning in the bottle. I think the kid can have a fantastic NBA career. But this is going to continue to shift. Uh, uh, you know what I mean? Like, and for me, Edwards out of position to play off of Russell Cat. That team struck is struggling right now. But this can't. We can't be prisoners of the moment when we have this conversation. That's just not fair to anybody. I agree. Uh, 
I just think it's so interesting that the cat is so attuned to it. And um, well, he's got to be thinking about his own future there too. I mean, there's a, there's a sense of, you know, is that has, has he really given this pairing with D'Angelo Russell enough time or to, to really, to see what it's going to be? Cause they, they've both been hurt. They both had, have had no way. I mean, they barely know. played together. Yeah. And, and they've had a coaching change in the middle of it. Um, I, I really think Chris Finch is going to be good for Cat. He's, you know, that was what um, he started. He, when, when Jokic started at Denver, the Chris Finch was there. Like he's good at, at, at running an offense around big men. And, and I think utilizing Cat in a way that, um, you know, Ryan Saunders probably didn't necessarily, I think, I think you need to run the offense for Cat. And I, and they didn't do that before. And I think we're just now starting to see what it's going to look like when he plays a focal point. Cause he's a, he's a really good passer. And I, I think we, we've all forgot about him. Remember just, just a few years ago, Brian, we were talking about if you were to start a franchise with one young player, who would it be? Most people's answer was Carl Anthony Towns. And because of injuries, because of how bad Minnesota has been, because of you know the instability that we've seen there, um, you wouldn't give that answer anymore. I think we'd all say Luka Doncic, but, um, but Cat's still a really good player. And I, and I think just passing wise, vision wise, ability to create, like, he needed a coach who can unlock some of that. And we're, you know, Chris Finch is just, just getting started with that. Well, Anthony Edwards was asked about this last night and he's a, he's very confident and he does great interviews. And he said, yeah. I mean, they took me, it's over. There's more. Anybody who's still talking about that can go kick rocks. Agreed. Agreed. And that was awesome. Said, like we're having this whole conversation and we yep. just went through Golden State. But to your point about what has happened to Cat, like this is why Warriors fans absolutely should relax. Like you've got a rookie and a great system and a team that is very, very rarely irrelevant. But like, what are, what are we doing, people? Like, Anthony Edwards is going to be fine. That was the right pick for that organization. And all three of these guys have high ceilings. Like, it just sit back and enjoy. Like, just enjoy it. Chill out. It's never over. It's never over. Otherwise, we wouldn't have this podcast. Well, and they better uh, keep right. that pick, Brian. They better keep that pick. If you're yeah, if you're a Minnesota Timberwolves fan, you better be hoping. That you get that top three pick this week, this year. You got that like right. that lottery, if that kick, if that lottery, if, even if they have the worst record in the league, and they're going to have some competition from Cleveland this year, but if they have the worst record in the league, there's still a sixty percent chance that that pick is not top three and goes to the Warriors this year. That would just be brutal as part of their oh, right. as part of their rebuild here. Uh, okay, thank you so much to Monica. We really appreciate you uh, joining us for the first time. We'll definitely have you back. Thank you to Ramona. Thank you to Anthony, our producer. Thank you for listening to Hoop Collective Podcast. We will talk to you later.
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply.